Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. It would appear the Detroit Pistons are stockpiling some of my favorite low-minute fantasy guys and still not going to give them enough minutes to produce. Because in a smaller trade that clears the way for a big free agent move, the Knicks unloaded Nerland's Noel, Alec Burks, and a bunch of money to pay those guys to the Detroit Pistons, who had some space that they could absorb these guys into. The Pistons are doing what they're supposed to do. They get a bunch of second-round picks out of the deal, which, you know, whatever that's worth. I don't know. There's something about... Maybe I'm, maybe I'm off base here, because every once in a while, a team does hit with a second-rounder. I just... It feels like those aren't really worth much. It feels like they, they're worth more for their intrinsic value as a contract... Like, how many teams are going to use their 12 second rounders or whatever they're able to acquire in these things? Suppose it doesn't matter. Point of it all is, the Knicks are likely to make a hard run at Jalen Brunson. That's the news that, sort of the, the trade that begets the news. We all knew this was coming, and everybody was like, how are the Knicks going to clear space enough to go get Brunson? Well, this was seemingly the answer. Let's get rid of a few extraneous contracts, clear out the runway, and then go present a whole bunch of money to Jalen Brunson. Now, the Brunson thing is a story in and of itself. We'll save that for after it becomes official, if, obviously, he still has to actually agree to go to the Knicks. But if you can make the Knicks a better team, that city will love you. And everybody in the NBA says the same thing. MSG, that is the place. It's the mecca for a reason. Problem, of course, with all of this is that Nerlens Noel, who hasn't really been healthy enough to play even part of a season in a couple of years, I love him as a fantasy asset, but he's going to get buried because that's development time in New York, in uh, Detroit, excuse me. And then Alec Burks, what the hell is he going to do there? These are seemingly movable pieces for Detroit, movable veteran pieces that they'll probably be able to get more stuff for. And to me, I think that's probably where this thing all goes is that the Knicks were like, fine, you give us whatever these second-round picks, that's great, you give us some money to pay some salary, we're going to do the work of moving these guys this season because you needed to get rid of them right now. So we'll get picks absorbing their salaries, and we'll get picks sending them out because someone's going to want Alec Burks, someone is going to want Nerlens Noel if he shows he's healthy enough to contribute to a decent basketball team. He's a great backup center. A ton of teams could use him as a defender and role man. And Alec Burks is a great scorer, for what he is, he's not going to carry a team. We saw he got way worse when he got dropped into the starting lineup for the Knicks this season, just efficiency-wise, but a lot of teams could use a 6th, 7th man, bench gunner type. So Detroit, they're working the phones already, I'm sure. And The NBA season, I think the NBA calendar resets on, is it today? Is today the day? It might be today. A lot of players had to make their calls on uh, options today, so maybe it's... Maybe it's right after free It doesn't matter. Either way, it's soon. Pistons can trade these guys in whatever it is, a couple of weeks, a couple of months. I think there's a rule about how quickly someone could get moved twice, but I think it can be pretty fast. Fantasy-wise, doesn't mean much. Knicks are expected to at least try to re-sign Mitchell Robinson, and without Nerlens Noel there, that, you know, he was already a guy that pretty much had that gig, even from this last season, but it just does continue to dilute 
the competition behind him. And for Mitch Robb, he had kind of a weird year, bad foul shooting season, but came on nice late in the year. Blocks started to come around late in the season. That was a big deal for Robinson after the blocks were, frankly, kind of low early in the year. He finished at number 86 on a per-game basis thanks to that, that hot run towards the end of the year. And I suppose it isn't even really fair to call it kind of like the end of the year. The last, I don't know, some 30-odd games, Robinson was inside the top 65 on 9-9 and with 3.5 combined defensive stats over that stretch. He was a hard punt free throw guy, that's for sure. Three free throws a game and he shot 41% on them. But damn did he started to carry his weight in boards and blocks. 26 and a half minutes per game. No reason for that number to go down if Nerlens Noel isn't around. Julius Randle plays some stretch five behind him. Obi Toppin might get a couple of minutes, but effectively, you know, Taj Gibson's too old to matter, and every year that becomes more and more evident. Jericho Sims, I think, is floating around, but this isn't about the Knicks. This is just about the trade and how it does, I think, make Mitchell Robinson kind of an interesting grab. We've already talked about the Knicks, talked about him a while back, and I mentioned Mitch Robb as someone that I kind of liked even then, a month and a half ago, when we started this adventure through the teams of the NBA. And there's nothing here that moves me off of him. Odd, the funny thing about this is, those players that we just mentioned on the Knicks, Mitchell Robinson, Alec Burks, those are the two highest-ranked fantasy players on the team. Both per game and totals. Those are the two highest-ranked guys. <laughs> we're definitely going to need to do a rehash on the Knicks at the end of all of this, because they also unloaded Kemba Walker. Who will be left in New York? I guess it depends on whether or not they get Jalen Brunson. But today is Memphis Grizzlies Day on the show. By the way, this is Fantasy NBA Today. I'm your host, Dan Vespers. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll squeeze in. I'm recording this in, in chunks, so if there's anything else breaking first thing in the morning today, that'll come towards the end of the show, recording the first parts of it late at night on uh, Tuesday. It's Wednesday some places already. Not here yet. Uh, so we'll get around to that. But on the Memphis front, there was a... Uh, hmm. Well, first of all, they've already unloaded DeAnthony Melton. So I guess in some delightful universe, at least we don't have to worry about that anymore. I honestly don't know what I'm going to do with myself if I'm not watching DeAnthony Melton's minutes on the Grizzlies every game. I guess I could just watch his minutes on the Sixers every game. Wee. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. 
So the Grizzlies were an odd bunch. Um, not necessarily a bad way, just kind of an odd team in that Desmond Bain was the best per-game fantasy producer on the team, but they did have a number of guys that put up useful fantasy m- stuff. Dylan Brooks, when he was healthy, was pretty close to fantasy value. He was at 124 on a per-game basis. Brandon Clark had a long run in the middle of the year where he was a top-80 guy. He finished at 127 with a very slow start and kind of a slow finish. And then, of course, the big names, Bain, JJJ, and John Morant. Question that everybody's going to have, I think, going into next season is, first, are the Grizzlies going to do much? Because they do have salary cap space available. They got a lot of guys on hyper-affordable contracts. JJJ's extension kicks in. Steven Adams is on an expiring deal, which makes him actually a pretty interesting candidate to maybe get moved, even on a team that's expecting to win. John Morant, they don't have to give him more money until next, the following season. This is a Dylan Brooks contract year as well. And then everybody else is pretty much on these these tiny little deals. Desmond Bain's deal is tiny. Brandon Clark's deal is small. He'll get a little a small, I would think, bump next year. Uh, but, you know, slow-mo's off the books. So that takes a little chunk off of things. They're, I think they only have about $90 million committed right now this coming season. I would assume that means they probably do something, so a lot of this could get shaken up in the next couple of days. But on the chance that it's not something monumental, I think it's pretty safe to look at this team and just make small adjustments to what they did this last year. For one, John Morant. What do we think he improves upon? Because he's shown the ability to get better in categories on a year-over-year basis. His path, Jaw finished at number 49 on a per-game basis this season. Missed 25 ball games, though. And I don't know that we can necessarily think that that's something that changes a ton because he is someone that plays way above the rim. And it's not, you know, it's not a one-to-one correlation there, but those types of players do get a little bit banged up. At some point, he's going to have a year where he plays in 75 games. Maybe it's this coming season. That would be great. He's super fun. Grizzlies are cool. But I don't know that it's probable. Probable is 68. Probably more than 57. But I don't know that I would say probable is 74 or 75 possible? Yeah. Meanwhile, JJJ, who they've been kid-gloving basically until they figured they'd make a little run at it this year, played in 78 of their 82 ball games. He was number 37 with a painfully low field goal percent. And then really good block steals numbers. He had three-pointers from that power forward spot. He was a lot of fun to have in fantasy as well. And then, as we mentioned before, Desmond Bain, 18 points on three threes with good percentages in both, somehow. Lower turnovers, good steals numbers. Steals, threes, that type of stuff. I mean, this is sustainable for him for the most part. Nobody's really coming for his job. Yes, he would do little bits less when Melton and Brooks and everybody else is healthy at the same time. Tyus Jones, by the way, off the books for this team as well. Uh, although they might, they may bring him back. So do we think these guys get better or do we think these guys get worse? I would start with their most prominent player and talk about Ja and say he's now, as, as someone that I've put, sort of consistently faded, 
And by all accounts, it's it's been warranted, even with his really big per-game production this year. Missing 25 ball games means he doesn't hit his ADP. And frankly, he didn't hit his ADP anyway. After a fast start, he cooled off. That's the nature of the beast. It's a long season. I think I'm inclined to fade him a little bit less this year. Although at the same time, he probably, because his issue is free throw percent and turnovers, basically, that means that in eight category leagues, he's going to go higher than nine. And in points leagues, he's going to go higher than eight or nine. His ADP is always going to be super high because he's exciting and scored 27 points a game last year. So even if I think he does take a small step forward, which I do, I don't think it's going to be enough of a step forward to cover the fact that he's almost an auto-overdraft kind of guy. Like, if I, think, if I think he improves from top 50 to top 35, that's awesome. I like that idea. But I think he's probably going at 35 anyway this coming year. I think he was going to go there even if people don't think he's going to improve because of how ADP gets calculated, mushing all the different types of leagues together. That's just how it works. JJJ is another interesting uh, tidbit here because with him, you can also look at it and say, oh, this guy can get better really easily by just improving on 41.5% from the field. That would be extremely easy. In fact, even in his last 30 ball games, he shot 42.5% from the field, and he was number 32 instead of late 30s. Like, that's how easy it is for JJJ. If he gets 41.5% up to... 43% even, he's probably a late second rounder. But, again, you know, it fluctuates. Last 25 games of the year, he shot 40%. So he had stretches where you saw it, and then he had stretches where he was just so very cold. And then, despite all the amazing stuff he does with the blocks and the free throw percent and even some steals and some threes out of your power forward guy, the low field goal percent means he really can't quite get over that top 35 valuation that needs to get better i think it could i don't know that it will he takes a lot of his shots from downtown not all of them though so why don't we say jjj does get a little bit better let's say he shoots 42 and a half or 43 percent instead of 41 and a half would you take him end of third round this coming season hmm yeah, I mean, that's probably about where he belongs. But you also have to know what you're getting there. If you're plotting this out, meaning you're like, you're probably uh, close to the turn, honestly, because he's probably going to get drafted in that very late third area, if I had to guess. You're going to get big-time blocks numbers, but you're not really getting your traditional big-man stats. So it does give you the option of going out, maybe getting someone like a Jonas Valanciunas, who gets you traditional big-man stats, can hit free throws, but doesn't really block that many shots and kind of covers up what JJJ doesn't do at one of your other big man spots. So he's a guy, even with his really good numbers, there is, there is a lot of specialist element to it. And I hate to say it because you guys know I was big on JJJ this last year. I thought he was a perfect post-hype guy because he had killed teams the previous year by being listed as out until January and then missing the entire season with the meniscus stuff. This coming season, he becomes like a super durable version of Miles Turner, basically. Which, I know you guys are going to kill me for this, but like their actual stats, 
I don't care what you think they're doing on the basketball court. Their actual stats are not that far off. You can look at it and call me on it if you want. Miles Turner, 2.8 blocks per game. JJJ, 2.6. They were number one and number two in that category in the NBA. Miles, 13.5 points. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at just the last three months. Uh, Miles, 13 points, 2.8 blocks. JJJ, 16 points, 2.3 blocks. Miles, better field goal, lower free throw. You kind of flip those a little bit. Although, you know, Miles' free throw is fine. Both about .8 steals. Miles, seven rebounds. JJJ, six. Each one of them, one and a half, three-pointers per game. They are hyper-similar. In fact, Turner was the better value when he played this last year, mostly because he shot 10% better than JJJ while hitting the same number of three-pointers. The stuff that Jackson was better on, namely scoring, pretty much it, and free throw percent, those things you can make up pretty fast elsewhere. Easier, frankly, than the 10% field goal. That's why Miles was around better. That's not to say I'd rather you take Miles Turner at the end of the third round. I just think that if it's JJJ is going to cost you a third round pick this year, you can probably get Miles in the fifth and just pray that he gets you like 64 ball games instead of 45 or 55, because at that point, then you end up with the better value. Much as I love JJJ, and I want to offer the caveat here that I don't mind if you go and draft him near the end of the third, early fourth. I think he's fine. He'll probably hit his marks there. He'll be close to them at least. I just think if that's the player you're gunning for, big man who blocks but doesn't rebound all that much, I'd rather go miles at a much cheaper price. And then with Desmond Bain, that one's a little bit tougher. Um, you know, we saw how his role was relatively constant. And at the same time, his usage did bounce around a little bit based largely on who was on the floor around him. But most of the time, most of the time, if enough happened, like if Dylan Brooks was out there for enough games, he would cool off and Desmond Bain would continue to surge. So I'm not that worried about it. I think there's going to be a distrust in Bain, kind of like we saw with Terry Rozier this season, where he had a really big year, but he still was drafted like in the 70s. It's like, I don't want, why didn't anybody take him in the 40s? Not much is really changing out there. It's the same kind of thing with Desmond Bain. He's in the 30s, He's probably going to get drafted in the 60s, I bet, this coming year because people just aren't going to believe he really is a top 40 guy. I think he really is a top 40 guy. I don't know where he gets better. Maybe he'll find some place to do it. I mean, his, his percentages, I thought, were about as good as they could get. It did feel a little bit like he maxed out this season, but who knows? Maybe he gets a little more usage. Maybe the Grizzlies phase Dylan Brooks back a tiny bit, and now without Melton around, that's just one less thing to have to worry about. The other guy I want to mention on this team, uh, besides Dylan Brooks, who, look, I mean, he'll play and he'll get too many shots for what he does, and he'll probably be, uh, you know, we talk about how if you're playing starters minutes, you probably deserve some kind of look, and he's not bad at both percentages. He's not great at field goal, but um, he's, a, he's a perfectly fine free throw shooter, which is useful. He's really, I'm uh, Dylan Brooks is really like, I don't know, like a rebound away from being a standard league guy. So it's not that far off. He's not someone I'd be targeting in Roto 
unless you really badly needed some scoring towards the end of your draft, but meh, meh, meh. Head-to-head, I might take a look at it. Like, if it lands, it would be just fine, and even if it doesn't, if he just coasts along at, like, top 110, because, you know, he's not, like, great at anything, and he's just sort of okay, that's not the end of the world either. Then you just kind of need him to stay healthy. That would be the the question mark on the head-to-head side. Roto, I just don't think there's a ton of upside. I don't see him getting much better in his field goal percent. I don't see him rebounding or assisting much more than he did right now. I don't think his free throw percent gets any better. So I don't know that there's this massive room for improvement there. Maybe 43 becomes 44 from the field. Maybe he stays a little healthier. His minutes like hover in the 29-30 range instead of 27-28. Maybe that's the 5 to 10% bump in everything that it would take to get him inside the top 100. But there's really nothing beyond that. The guy that I would keep an eye on in the Grizzlies is Brandon Clark, who was constantly getting pushed for minutes by Kyle Anderson, who's not on the books anymore. Maybe they bring him back, maybe they don't. Zaire Smith is going to be the guy that pushes him a little bit this coming year, but we saw good stuff from Clark this season, and for a long stretch in the middle of the year, after a very slow start to the season, Clark was awesome. I think if you wipe out like the first 30 games of the season, Clark was inside the top 100. Just knock out his slow start. I don't remember exactly when he started to kind of get things going. I think it was about 25, 30 games into the year. And from that point on, he averaged 11, five and a half, half a steal over a block on 65% shooting from the field. Big time positive field goal guy. Very low turnovers, positive blocks guy. And just a didn't hurt you too many places, dude. Which you know I love in Roto. That fills out the edges nicely. Not a guy I think you need to draft either, by the way. You could in the last round, but he's probably only going to get 22-ish minutes per ball game. I think they'd like to get him more time. I think some of the stuff we've seen happen this offseason so far is about getting, about shortening the rotations a tiny bit. And Clark should be a beneficiary from that. He has great chemistry with, with Morant. He's a high flyer. They've got plenty of them out there. And to Clark's credit, he didn't miss that many games after things got going. He'll miss a few here and there, which makes him a tough head-to-head grab. But Brandon Clark's a guy I would definitely look at in Roto in that like 135-145 range of your draft. I think he could come out of the gates and just provide that steady field goal bump with some defensive stats, Float you a little bit, rebounds, it won't hurt you there, really. And the beauty of Brandon Clark is that there is upside baked in. If he gets better in some way, or if the Grizzlies are like, look, you're a guy now, we don't have slow-mo on the roster anymore, or, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of days, but maybe they bring in someone that squeezes it. But he's basically then, like, he's the primary backup 4-5 behind Steven Adams and JJJ. That's a lot of responsibility now, without Kyle Anderson to soak up 20-some-odd of those minutes. Even if someone else picks up a few of them, you've got to figure at least two or three are going to Brandon Clark. And, like, he's a top 100 guy in 21 minutes of ballgame. If he gets up to 23, top 80, 25 minutes, top 60, I don't think he's getting that high. But where we talked about with Dylan Brooks, there's, there's sort of nowhere up for him to go beyond the top 100 because his fantasy game just doesn't lend itself to it. Brandon Clark, there's a ton. There's like infinite room for him. And heaven forbid, 
We don't want this to happen. But heaven forbid JJJ misses any ball games because he basically didn't this last year. He was super healthy. We never really got to see what that would do for Brandon Clark. Can we bake in another seven or eight missed JJJ games? What would Clark have been this year if Jaron Jackson had to miss three weeks in the middle of the year? Brandon Clark probably would have gone buck wild in those ball games. Yeah, they would have mixed and matched. You would have seen extra slow-mo and extra Zaire and extra Conchar and also an extra Xavier Tillman and the Grizzlies are going to do Grizzlies stuff. But at the end of all of that, those three weeks, I can promise you Clark would have averaged more than his season number in minutes per game. Quick recap before we put a pin in this bad boy. Desmond Bain, I think, might actually get underdrafted a tiny bit this coming year. JJJ, I think, gets accurately drafted. Ja is always going to get overdrafted. Dylan Brooks is probably going to get about accurately drafted, but there isn't much excitement for me there. And Brandon Clark, I think, probably goes undrafted, or at the very best, worst-case scenario, however you're looking at it, underdrafted on a Grizzlies team that should still have plenty of fantasy value this coming year. And we'll keep an eye on things here in free agency. That's coming up on tomorrow's show. Wanted to mention here as well, tomorrow's free agency show will come out late because the moratorium ends at 3 Pacific time on Thursday. I believe I'm getting that right. I think it's 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific. So we'll do a show basically after the first big moves drop. And then for I don't know how long, we'll just talk about moves as they happen, as free agents sign until we cover them all. It might take two shows. It might take four shows. I don't know. And then we'll come rolling back into the NBA standings because I think we're on our last... Oh, did I skip the Heat? I skipped the Heat. My bad. All right, so we've got the Heat and the Suns left on the uh, NBA team breakdown stuff. I don't know that either of those teams are going to have a huge thing going on here in free agency, but you never know. Uh, We'll probably get to those at some point next week. And we still have to talk about how Yahoo's numbers did. So there. And a quick addendum here at the tail end of the show uh, with rumors flying on Wednesday morning. The one thing that does appear to have actually taken shape because we're getting all this like who is and is not expected to be back with their team stuff. But we'll save that discussion for when it's actually done. But it does sound like the Wizards and the Nuggets have officially agreed to a trade that'll send Monty Morris and Will Barton to the Wiz, KCP and Ish Smith to the Nuggets. Ish now joining his NBA record 13th team will have no fantasy value in Denver. KCP will actually probably have some fantasy value in Denver. He'll play. He's good. He's a veteran. He can shoot. He'll space the floor. He plays good defense. I don't know if that makes him a top 100 guy. Probably not. When you're buried a bit on the usage depth chart, you'd have to take a couple of shots to have some usage. And then, you know, you wonder, what does this mean for someone like Bones Highland? He'll probably get to do a little bit more. I still don't think he's standardly guy because, let's remember, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., both back. Those guys weren't there this last year when Bones was taking a bunch of shots, and then Ish comes in and kind of slots into like a lesser iteration of what Monte was doing at that point guard stuff. I do feel like for Denver's side, this was them saying, you know, Monte Morris is a little bit superfluous with Jamal Murray healthy. We have enough ball handers, creators on this team now, and I think they wanted to get out of the Will Barton deal. 
KCP, uh, 14 mil this coming season. I think Barton is slightly higher than that. I forget what we talked about on Denver or whatever it was last week or week before that. Uh, and then KCP, for what they want to do there, is just he's just a better fit. Better defense, more consistent. Barton is a better creator, but they don't, I don't think they feel like they need it, and they're probably right. They probably don't. Do I? I don't know. And then Monte Morris going to the Wizards, that's, of all the guys actually in this trade, he's probably the one you look at as, oh, well, this could actually amount to something because uh, Raul Neto's contract, I believe, is officially off the books, if I'm not mistaken. I think this last year was the last one. We can double-check on that because we did the Wizards a really long time ago also. Uh, but yes, that's correct. Neto is not on the books anymore. So with Ish getting traded, Monte Morris is sort of the only real point guard left on the team. They might have drafted one. I don't know. I don't keep that close tabs on that type of stuff, but it's not something I'm worried about. Monte Morris, we've talked about it before. He's not a guy that's going to assert himself very often, and he played starters minutes for most of the season in Denver and still didn't really amount to any fantasy stuff. 30 minutes, top 120. But there is something about sort of a fresh start and an opportunity for him to go and try to make, I guess, a little bit more of a name for himself when he's not kind of embedded in the in Nikola Jokic's shadow. Monte Morris is set to make nine mil this year. He actually has ten million dollars left on his contract for next season. So if it was a contract year, I'd be even more excited. To that end, yeah, I mean he's going to be behind Bradley Beal, be behind Kristaps Porzingis. Kuz is going to take more shots. Barton coming in, he's a guy who's going to probably try to snap some usage up. So yeah, I mean you might get Monte Morris pretty similar to what he did in Denver this last year. My hope again is that he just feels this desire to do a little bit more on his new team. But in actuality, I don't know that anybody in this trade is inside the top 100 this coming year. I don't think they are. If I had to... That's the bet I would take. If you say, is your bet 0, 1, 2, 3, or 4 players out of all these guys inside the top 100, my my money would be on 0. And if it's one, it might, I mean, it might end up being KCP, but I don't think he's going to end up doing enough. I just think that efficiency-wise, he'll probably have his best efficiency season ever. I don't know if it actually matters because there's probably not enough to do. Similar story to Monte Morris. Even if there was a little more to do, he's not around Jokic, so his looks are not going to be as good. Barton's a disastrous guy if he's not getting 55 touches of ball game, and then we know Ish Smith at this point. So move along. Nothing to see here. Again, reminder, tomorrow's show will be late release. We're going to go after the moratorium begins, I guess. It's not. I don't think it's the end of it. Uh, when the news actually starts to come in. We're going to get a lot of reports during the day, and we can throw those in. But like I said, we're just going to go through the stuff one by one, starting when the news comes in, and we'll see how far it takes us. Okay, everybody, have a, uh, well, you know what, um, I guess I shouldn't say that, uh, yeah, it's fine, that's fine, have a terrific Wednesday, big day tomorrow, can't wait, I'm Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today, talk to you then.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.